Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, Bite Size Edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Do you understand how to set up a rhythm to work productively? Or do you understand how you work most productively? Digital wellbeing expert, Dr. Christy Goodwin, provides some sage advice on how to find your way to working your most productive or being your most productive self, including your chronobiology, which is linked to your circadian rhythm, and how you work throughout different times of the day. Dr. Christie also shares the story, and it's a pretty full-on story, of why she became so interested in digital well-being. I'll give you the punchline. It involves an accident with one of her children, but you're going to have to listen to the bite size to find out actually, one, what happened, but two, how this really stimulated a curiosity in Christie about working smarter and working more on purpose. So we've naturally come to part three, which is the effects. We've evolved into this, Christy, without even framing it. I love that term, digital guardrails. And just closing out, Ange, on what we said about productivity. Yeah, I'm, I'm the gazelle. I'm up on a, my operating rhythm or my better week on a Tuesday. I'll come in here 5.36 and bang out a couple of hours before everyone else is awake. Because that's when I think best. But Ange knows that she doesn't have to respond then. You're much more of a tiger bordering on a bear. So you'll work you know, late morning, but definitely early evening, into the evening. But just having that understanding of what the people in your team are like is massive. So that's that's a huge thing we need to do. And yeah, this whole now, I like that acronym, PWA, Productive Work Arrangement. I have a dirty little secret that came out in COVID. Do we really want to know this? <laughs> no, not that one, this one. Uh, but even when I was at KPMG, and Angie, you know this, I had a manager there who actually wanted me to put in leave when I was coming up with a program. We'd sold a big program into Boral, a wellbeing program, physical and psychological. And it's archaic to think I had this conversation. But he said, no, are you taking time off? And then I just said to him, no, like, and it wasn't, he, he wasn't doing it out of malice. It was just foreign at that stage that as a partner, you could be working and not being in the office. And, and he said, how long have you been doing this? I said, about 10 years. It's how I get work done that people think, you know, I'm a uh, muck around and sometimes I do. But when I work, I get away from everyone. It's almost a, a flip personality. And if I go down to Jeroa on the South Coast, give me three days, I'll get seriously three weeks of work done, maybe a month if I'm distracted. So it was just really interesting having that conversation back then. Now, post-COVID, everyone's onto that dirty little secret, knowing that we can find this rhythm between. And, and what we're teaching, Christy, is you'll have days in the office, which is more about connection and collaboration and then go home get off the grid if you're a knowledge worker and do your deep work and then come back and connect again so getting this nice pulse between the two yeah i love that cadence and i think it's really important we acknowledge that people certainly do need that that flexibility but as i said i think we're better off focused on when are you most productive because wouldn't it be great if we could get more of our work done in less time and in doing so we'd naturally start to support our well-being as well because we're working in in congruence with how we're neurobiologically designed rather than against it do you ask that question in your workshops and programs do you get people to 
talk about when they are most productive because it seems so simple. But I get people looking at me like, God, I've never been asked this question before. Yes, we get people to identify their chronotype. So you can identify, there's a whole raft of measures you can use. But I often say to people, we intrinsically know most of the time if we're, you know, when our energy peaks and troughs. And I often say to people, if you're not quite sure, think about the last time you took annual leave and and think about by about day three or four, not the first couple of days when you're usually just exhausted, but when would you naturally start to wake up and when would you naturally start to go to bed in holidays? That is often an indicator as to when you're most focused and alert and you can translate that to your your natural day because there's so much evidence that tells us that if you can get your work done during your your peak performance window, your output um, will increase exponentially because you're working the way that you should. And for people listening to this who are very linear and detail-focused, Christy said day three or four, not day 20 or 21, because there's a thing called the free running cycle or free range cycle that over a three-week or two-week or three-week period, a month, gosh help you, when you don't have to get up early, people tend to faff around at night and get up later and later. So it's not at the end of three or four weeks because everyone will go, woohoo, I go to bed after midnight and get up at eight. No, that's holidays. I will point out many of us think we, I should say, the data that we're collecting indicates that many people think they're night owls than what actually are. And I believe it's our tech habits that are suggesting or nudging us to adopt some unhealthy habits that mean that we are falling asleep later. You know, being on our devices in the 60 minutes before we go to sleep, we know does two main things. One, it delays the onset of sleep because our body doesn't make enough melatonin, so it takes us longer to to fall asleep. And two, we also know that once we do fall asleep, without adequate melatonin, our deep and REM sleep stages are significantly shorter. That is when memory consolidation occurs. That's when our restful sleep occurs. And many of us are having, you know, are curtailing the amount of sleep we get in those periods just because we've been on our devices before we go to sleep. So I'm sure you don't break any of these rules. I'd love to know what is a day in the life of your household with active, crazy, busy children. I got busted last night by Archie, my 11-year-old. He... Couldn't sleep. He woke up. He came out, got a drink of water. He said, Dad, you tell everyone to get off your mobile for the melon and melon, <laughs> melon something. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's, he's a funny little man. Um, why are you on your phone? And I, I was actually making some notes. I said, oh, I'm making some notes for today. So yeah, when you, when you put these rules at home, you're open to being busted. What, what does this look like for you? Good and bad. Give me, give me a, maybe a, a good day. And, and if you've got a recent example where the proverbial hit the fan and how yeah. did you get back on track? Well, I'll start with where it hit the fan because this is why I became so passionate about this work. I, years ago, went to speak overseas at a conference and came back to Australia and stood at the baggage carousel and did what everybody does at the baggage carousel, pulled out my phone while I waited and saw that I had amassed a whopping 77 unread emails on the flight back to Sydney. So I thought I'll triage those in the taxi on the way home, fell asleep in the taxi on the way home, got home, opened up my laptop and saw that there were 144 emails now requiring my urgent attention. And I opened up the lid on my laptop and I went, my son at the time, um, Billy, he was about 15 months and he decided that he wasn't going to have a nap this day. And I had very ambitiously scheduled a work call during his time. So I opened up the lid on the laptop just to cancel the, the call. 
um, and send one email. But because I saw that awful red icon declaring that I had 144 emails, I went down the digital rabbit hole and I got really distracted and started triaging my inbox and wasn't watching Billy. And Billy fell from the lounge adjacent to where I was and smashed his face flat on the ground, requiring urgent hospitalisation, yes. He had such a serious laceration that we had to rush him to emergency and he still to this day has a little scar on his lower lip. And to ease my mother's guilt because I can hear Ange (laughs) I'm like, scar on his lip, how cool. Like a pirate. <laughs> I know, the doctor said that to him. He said, scars pull cheeks. And as a 15-month-old. Because um, I was mortified. I was devastated and racked with mother's guilt. But I will point out, he'd done the same thing or a similar injury falling off the lounge two weeks earlier when my husband was dutifully supervising him. So I'm suggesting that the serious wound he sustained was just a reopening of an existing wound. But it was at that point in time where I realised here I was talking about distraction and digital habits. I wasn't immune to the digital pool. I got sucked into the digital vortex and it had really serious ramifications. Now, you may not have serious ramifications, but I think that if we were all deeply honest with ourselves, many of us are tethered to technology. You know, I go to swimming lessons and I look around and, you know, when kids finally, after 22 weeks of swimming lessons, they nail the tumble turn, they come up and their cap's filled with water or half off and their goggles are filled with water and they're looking up to give you the thumbs up and you miss the moment. You know, we're missing those micro moments of connection with other people that are really important. And I often say technology can connect us, but it can disconnect us. It can bring us together but it also can mean that we're alone. We're often together, but alone. So that's where I really stuffed up. And that was really the catalyst for me to go, hang on, what is it about the online world that's drawing us in? Why are we so distracted? Why can we not focus? As an adult, I would have liked to have thought I had fairly good brain architecture that would help me navigate this, but I become distracted. Were you teaching this topic then or did no. that incident? No. Okay, right. So that, that was the catalyst. So I'd been speaking about the impact technology was having on children and teenagers. And it was then I went, hang on, we're just as guilty. We're just as, if, if not more so, um, we're not being often good digital role models. And we know kids' brains have something called mirror neurons, meaning that they're biologically wired to imitate and copy. And if we're you know, yelling at them to turn their devices off while we're at our laptop or with our phones, often it's natural for them to emulate and imitate what they're seeing. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including MatchFit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM Edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.